Let us pray. Let the good news come now, O Lord, not in word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Through Christ our Lord, amen. I recently discovered that I have a superpower. I don't know if you have a superpower, but I was in my eye doctor's office and my eye doctor told me that I have a superpower. She said that I have the superpower of nearsightedness. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe not. I mean, it's it's good to have. But um, if you're familiar with comic book fandoms at all, if you're familiar with the idea of superheroes, you know that with every great power comes uh, not only a great responsibility, but typically also a great vulnerability. And the context in which we were talking about uh, my superpower of nearsightedness was talking about my lack of the superpower of farsightedness. I was talking about my vision. And I went back to my eye doctor, as I often do, and I was saying, is there something that could be done about this particular problem? And the answer really is no. That I have a, a not really actually a very strong uh, correction for distance vision and some astigmatism, but the problem I have is that I have a prism. And what a prism correction means is that my eyes don't point in the same direction, that they're aimed in different places. And, and I guess everybody's is to some degree, but not many people have it so, 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 um, such a strong prism that they need to, uh, have a correction for it. And, uh, again, most of the time I don't, but under certain lighting conditions or if my eyes are tired, then my brain can't force my eyes to line up properly. And so for that reason, I have the prism correction. And the way the prism correction works is it, since since my eyes will not point in the right directions, what it does is it bends the light. So it doesn't just focus it in a different place the way normal vision corrections do. It actually bends it so it's going into a different place. Now, the problem with that, if you're familiar with um, uh, prisms or if you're even familiar with the Pink Floyd album, The Dark Side of the Moon, then you know the problem is that when you bend light, you actually spread it out. So the different uh, colors go in different directions, slightly different directions. And and they do things to to uh, keep that from being too much of a problem when you have a prism correction, but it's always going to cause a little bit of, of uh, um, divergence. If... if um, uh, there's lots of applications that use prisms, but what they have is they've got more than one lens. So there's there's the prism here, and then there's another prism to unbend it. With glasses, you don't have that. So there's always going to be this little problem. And so um, that's just the way my um, eyes are pointing. There's really nothing for it. There's not a, a lens that can be used to correct it, maybe some kind of a weird goggle, but not ordinary glasses. So that's just kind of the way my my head is made. And in fact, I, I, I think it is because of the way my head is, is shaped. Um, my head is um, asymmetrical, and so is everybody else's, but mine is particularly asymmetrical. It seems to me when I look in the mirror that this side's a little lower than this side, uh, more so to some, to, th- than some people, and that's probably where the prism comes from. And this is not a, a big uh, trouble for me, but it does mean that I could never get uh, a leading role in Hollywood. In fact, I really probably shouldn't have any kind of a role where my job is to be on video. Oops. But... <laughs> Here I am anyway. So uh, I bring all this up. I talk to you about the shape of my face and about my prism correction because because oftentimes th- there are aspects of who we are and the the way we made and the the way we're made that that um, govern 
our lives in, in ways that, that maybe are a minor inconvenience and maybe it's a real problem. Um, if you, if you share some of these, uh, maybe one of these is something you can relate to. Maybe you always aspired to be a basketball star, but you're not tall enough to make the NBA. Uh, you know, there's, there's probably a lot of people who enjoy basketball but can't ever get on an NBA team because they're just not tall enough. Other people, maybe their aspiration was always to be a, a jet fighter pilot, but they're too big to fit in those cockpits. So, uh, there, there's, there's different constraints that people have because of, because of the way that they're shaped and the way that their bodies exist, you know, the, the, how they are as, as people. Um, and maybe it's something that's more pernicious than that. Maybe you've you've been you've been in a situation where you bumped into a glass ceiling because because you were in a, a female hostile workplace, a, a male a male workplace that was hostile to females. Maybe you've experienced prejudice on the job because of your race or because of your sexual identity. So so sometimes those limitations are are things that. That are actually pernicious, but a lot of us can say, "Well, I, I've got something about me that has shaped my life, and maybe it was something where it wasn't a big deal, or maybe it's something where it still bothers me that the the course of my life was dictated by by my my ancestors, that I picked the wrong ancestors if I ever wanted to be in the NBA. I just needed different ones, or or maybe it's not your your you know your." intrinsic self but it's your accidental self it's the it's the self you became over the course of your life it's it's where you were born it's nothing to do with your ancestry it's just the way the place you were born or the the family you grew up in the the time frame in which you were born it walled off certain certain um, occupations or certain career paths that that you just couldn't do those things um, in in the the time and place when you were born so uh uh, I, I promised myself I wasn't going to talk any more about respiratory illnesses because I'm sick and tired of talking about respiratory illnesses. But uh, perhaps, uh, not not to go there, but you might imagine over the course of the past year, maybe you've thought, if I had been born more recently, then I wouldn't be old enough to qualify for a particular group or maybe you've thought if my uh, the the way that my health worked out as I as I aged that I wouldn't have this other uh, qualification for a different group so so the the accidental course of our life plus our intrinsic you know who we are as people that that these things govern um, our lives to a degree that that is maybe more than we like and and um, uh, the the, the 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 limits on our life um, lead us sometimes to wish that the world was different. Uh, you know, if if uh, if if you bumped into a glass ceiling, if you've encountered prejudice in in the workplace, those are things that the world can and should be about changing. Uh, th- those are things that need to be addressed. But sometimes it's just the way the world is that that there's nothing that can be done for it. Um, and so you wished, you know, instead of saying that the NBA should be all short people, you you said, I wish I could be taller. So you found yourself wishing that, that you were a, a different person than you really are. And um, uh, as a result, you you have this level of dissatisfaction with the person you actually are. Now, uh, all of this has to do with our reading today because we are... We are in a new conversation. We just began last week about the, um, where, where we're looking at the, the 
New Testament document called the Book of the Hebrews or the Book of the Letter to the Hebrews. And uh, it's talking about the nature of, of what it means to be people and, and the way that sometimes it causes us difficulty, sometimes it causes us pain. And the the reason we know that is because that's what the letter says. It's the the writer wrote it to a group of people who were suffering, and that's almost all we know about them. There's very little we we know about them except that they were suffering. We don't know how bad it was, how frequent it was. We don't even really know why they were suffering. All we know is that they were suffering, um, and it it probably had something to do with their faith that that in some way or another that. The fact that they had become uh, Christians was causing them to suffer. Now, the nature of that we don't know. Maybe it was an outright persecution. Maybe it was just that it, it excluded them from certain types of jobs or something, and they couldn't afford to to uh, to have the the uh, the things that money buys. They were they were hungry more often than they should have been, or something like that. The the word for suffering simply means to feel things. Maybe it means to feel pain. Maybe it means to feel agony. Maybe they were actually being persecuted. Maybe they were being being um, uh, uh, tortured or something like that for their faith. We don't know the nature of their suffering. We do know that they were feeling things. Maybe it was as simple as hunger. Maybe it was as bad as torture. So whatever it was, the writer is writing to them because. Because they had questions about why, why is this happening? I mean, they had the same question everybody has, which is why is the world such that there is suffering? And, and specifically, why are there people who inflict suffering on one another? And, uh, he's going to address, the, the writer is going to address that question in the next chapter. We're going to look at that next week. So if that's something that you have questions about, come back next week because we will look at it. But he also addresses the, the more immediate question because, because the truth is, uh, answering a why question isn't really very helpful. You know, is there some answer? If you've, if you've encountered difficulties in your own life, uh, if you've suffered things in your own life, maybe it's as simple as, I couldn't get the job I wanted in the Air Force, you know, I couldn't fly the, the pilot, you know, as a pilot. Maybe it was something where, uh, I actually was discriminated against in the workplace. If you've suffered, um, then, there's the 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 why answer isn't as important as as what do you do about it uh, first of all is there anything that can be done about the suffering that that you're facing in in a general sense but but more specifically what about me uh, maybe the world can be changed and it can be made better uh, over some period of time maybe god can do something to change the world but what about me what do i do in the meantime what do i do about the fact that i've suffered because of who i am because of because of the nature of of what I am due to my ancestry or due to due to the course of my life, and they had that question, and that's the question that he's he's attempting to answer. Now, where they were coming from was a, a first century mindset, and some of the most popular perspectives in the in the first in the first century, the, the philosophies that were uh, current in the first century were, no, there's really nothing that can be done about it. And you just need to uh, 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 get through it. You need to endure it. Um, you need to roll with it. Uh, one of the most popular philosophies was called Epicureanism. And uh, the idea of the Epicureans was that the the world was what it is. There was no help coming from God or from the gods. And so you just accepted the pleasure when it came and you accepted the pain when it came and you just kind of rolled with whatever life dealt you. So that was one philosophy. Another philosophy was called Stoicism. And it said, it said that, um, that you, 
you tried to avoid both because if you if you let it bother you, then there'd be no end of trouble. You'd never be able to to um, have any peace of mind if you knew that at at one moment you might be enjoying yourself, and the next moment you might not. So the 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 popular worldview said the nature of living in a material world, the the nature of this world, is that there will always be suffering because the world is made out of matter, and and matter is corruptible. The 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 nature of the world is that water runs downhill, that that fires go out, that sand runs out of a out of an hourglass. The world is running down, and they said because of that, and because the world has been uh, running for so long, it is just hopelessly corrupt. And all you can do now is just endure it. Uh, and, and different philosophies for how you endured it. So that was the perspective that people would have been exposed to, and they would have asked the question to other Christians, and particularly when they became Christians and started to suffer, they would have said, is, is Christianity like that? Does Christianity have that same view, that, that this world is no good and you just have to get through it? And, and they, they would have been in the same position as a lot of people today, because a lot of people today have that same, have that same question. You just endure what, what life hands you. And they would have said that there is a better world, uh, but but I can't access it right now. Um, uh, the the ancient philosopher said that humans had a had a divine spark in us, that that there was something um, spiritual, there was something transcendent about uh, humans, but it was it was trapped in a in a mortal shell, a material shell, and until we died, that that mortal shell. Could, could only drag us down. And again, this is something we see, uh, in, in our popular culture today. It's a very popular perspective. Uh, if you're a Star Wars fan, I'm sure you know what Yoda had to say about this. Jedi Master Yoda said that luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. And, uh, judging from the number of people who, who have adopted that as a, as a saying that they really um, uh, uh, live by. Uh, I, I looked again and I saw all the people who you can buy t-shirts and mugs and you can buy posters. There's all kinds of people who really believe what Master Yoda says, that we are, we are luminous beings, but we're trapped in crude matter. And with the, the audience that the, the writer here is speaking to, we could ask the question, what about Christianity? Does Christianity say that we are luminous beings and, and someday we will be released from this, from this mortal world? That, that God made the world as kind of a, a two-level house, a split-level house, and there's the basement level uh, where we live, and, and it's got all the problems of basements. The, 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 it smells kind of bad and, and the, the, there's sometimes flooding. Uh, and then, there's the upstairs where everything is rosy and peaceful. That that our only hope is to get out of the basement. That someday uh, that we will we will transcend this this nasty basement that we're part of and move up to the upstairs. So that's the question people had then, and it's a question that a lot of people um, or it's it's the answer a lot of people still assume today. So what does Christianity say? Well. That's what we're going to see today as we look at chapter 2 of the letter to the Hebrews. So so we're going to be looking at it starting in verse 5. So what does it say? Verse 5, he says, God didn't put the world that is coming, the world we're talking about, under the angel's control. 
So what, is, what does he mean by that? Well, he's, he's referring to the fact that the, the world is a mess. Um, it, there is a smell and it does flood sometimes, but um, there is a better world coming. And we're, again, we're going to talk about that when he gets there in, in chapter 3. We'll talk about that next week. But he says that, that even that world, the, the, the better world, the rosy world, the world without these problems, that's not under the angel's control. Instead, he says, verse 6, Instead, someone declared somewhere, What is humanity that you think about them? Or what are human beings that you care about them? For a while, you made them lower than angels. But you crowned the human beings with glory and honor. You put everything under their control. So what does he mean by that? He says, yes, humans are lower. We, we are, if there are two tiers to creation, there are spiritual beings. There's, there's a spiritual realm and then there's the material realm. And we live here on the, the material realm. We are lower than the angels in that regard. So, so, uh, yes, that's true. But, um, he says that they are for, that this is for a while. So does he mean we'll be moving upstairs? We'll be moving up to the, the happy place where the angels are? No. Instead, he says, you crown human beings with glory and honor and you put everything under their control. So he says that the, the world is, uh, was designed by God to be, uh, by God to be under the dominion of humans. Now, humans have made a mess of that. But that was God's original in purpose, uh, original purpose, and that's what God is planning to do um, uh, in, in Christ. So he goes on in verse uh, 8, he says, when he puts everything under their control, he doesn't leave anything out of their control. So he's not saying that, that someday um, that there will be a, a, a different world without these problems. He's saying that everything is going to be made under the control of humans. He says, but... Right now, we don't see everything under their control yet. Right now, we see, we see the world and it, it has a lot in common with that basement. So we, we don't see that. But, but what do we see? Right now, we don't see everything under their control. However, we do see the one who is made lower than the angels, uh, lower in order. We, we do see the one who is made lower in order than the angels for a little while. It's Jesus. He says, we don't see that, that rosy world that's coming. We don't see the way that God is going to transform the world through Jesus. We don't see that. What we do see is Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? He's the one who is now crowned with glory and honor. So he's referring to these words from the Hebrew scriptures, the, the, the passage we just heard, what is humanity? And he's saying that in particular, he was talking about not just all of humanity, but one human in particular, the human who would receive glory and honor. Why did he receive glory and honor? Uh, he's the one who is now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death. Is that is that it? That suffering is good? That somehow we should learn to enjoy suffering? No, not because of that. He he um, he was crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, which he suffered. He suffered death so that he could taste death for everyone through God's grace. So Jesus did this. The eternal son, uh, who is higher in rank than the angels, he became lower in rank than the angels. He became a, a material being. Why did he do that? So that he could taste death, so he could experience death. Why did he want to experience death? 
for us. So he could, he could taste death, he could experience death for everyone. Now in the first century, this would have been a, a ridiculous concept. The thought that the gods who lived in their happy world upstairs on Mount Olympus, the thought that the gods would actually come down from Mount Olympus at all, much less suffer pain, that they would actually die, they would taste death for anybody, any mortal person. That was just a preposterous idea. And that's what the writer is saying. He's saying that's what God has done in Christ. So why did he do it? Verse 10, he says, It was appropriate for God, for whom and through whom everything exists. So he says that this is what God designed. God made the material world like this. Is it a mess? Yes. But God didn't intend it that way. God did not make a messy world. God did not uh, uh, make a world that people could then uh, move upstairs from. God made the world because he likes the material world. God made matter because he likes matter. It's his idea. He invented it. So it was appropriate for God for whom and through whom everything exists to do what? To use experiences of suffering to make perfect the pioneer of salvation. See, something that material creatures can do is we can suffer. We can actually experience things. We can, we can feel things. And I, I, I guess that what that says is spiritual beings, um, can't, but uh, not not the way we can, at least, that this is appropriate. God made a material realm so that, and, and because of that, it's appropriate for him to use material uh, aspects of the material world, like suffering, to to do what? To make perfect the pioneer of salvation. To make perfect. To make perfect means to bring to completion, to, to finish the job, to, to complete the project of the pioneer of salvation. So what is salvation? He says, this salvation belongs to many sons and daughters whom he's leading to glory. There's a pioneer. There's the one who's out in front leading the rest. And who are the rest? They are the many sons and daughters whom he's leading to glory. That the project, the project of salvation is to turn material beings into children of God. That that it is not to make us angels. It is to make us children of God. So he says, this is because the one who makes people holy, that's Jesus, and the people who are being made holy, that's us, all come from one source. We are all human beings. We are all, we are all this, this combination of material, um, uh, of matter and of spirit. We're not a spirit trapped in, in corruptible matter. We are made to be a combination of material and spirit. And that is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. When he says, I will publicly announce your name to my brothers and sisters, I will praise you in the midst of the assembly. He also says, I will rely on him. And also, here I am with the children whom God has given me. So he refers again to the Hebrew scriptures. He's saying, he's saying, this is what God has always indicated was his intention, that in Christ he would do these things to to make us not angels, but to make us children of God. So, verse 14, Therefore, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he also, he, Jesus, also shared the same things. He also shared flesh and blood in the same way. Why did he do that? He did this to destroy the one who holds the power over death, the devil, by dying. 
So he did this to destroy the devil. What does he mean by destroy? He doesn't mean that the devil no longer exists. The the word destroy here is actually from the agricultural world. It means uh, to to use up, to exhaust. Uh, you might have you might have planted crops in this field so long that now it's got to lie fallow because it can't grow anything. Um, the tree has reached the age where it's no longer bearing fruit. That's the that's the idea that the devil has has used up his power by the death of of Christ. That that when Christ died. He must have taken a lot of killing. I, I don't know exactly how this works, but he says, he says, he destroyed the one. He used up the power of the one who holds the power over death, the devil, by dying. And by so doing, verse 15, he set free those who were held in slavery their entire lives by their fear of death. So he doesn't mean you're lying awake at night, you know, uh, afraid to wake up, uh, you know, thinking about your mortality. He says that we, we, we know we're mortal. We know that we're going to die someday, and so we let that govern our lives. We we shape our lives by that. We say, look, what's the point in playing basketball if I'll never be in the NBA? I would just be wasting my life if I spent every every spare moment practicing my shooting and my my uh, uh, footwork. Then what would be the point? Because I'll never play in the NBA. I'm going to die, and I I will never have the opportunity to play in the NBA. So we, we make those sorts of decisions all the time. We, we say, you know, I'm just going to not do that because, you know, that's for kids to, to fantasize about, but I'm not going to do it because, because, because you only live once and, uh, there's no point in wasting that part of my life on something useless. So he says that we're held in slavery by our fear of death. But if he has destroyed the, the, the power of the one who has power over death, then we don't have to be afraid of that anymore. And then he concludes or brings it back around by saying, of course, he's not trying to help angels. He's not trying to help angels. Rather, he's helping Abraham's descendants. He's helping this great mass of people that have been um, grafted into the, the family of the children of Abraham. So, he finishes up in verse 17. Therefore, uh, starting in 17, he says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. This was so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in things relating to God in order to wipe away the sins of the people. He's able to help those who are being tempted since he himself experienced suffering when he was being tempted. So later in this book, and we'll get there in, in a little bit, not not next week, but he's going to talk about what it means to be a merciful and faithful high priest. He's going to talk about the significance of, of what that means for us. But right now, he wants to give us a hint. And so he says he's able to help those who are being tempted when, since he himself was experiencing suffering when he was being tempted. And by tempting here, he doesn't simply mean that, that uh, some unpleasant or, or uh, immoral action is being, you know, presenting itself to you. He means to face the trials. Uh, the the word for temptation is the same word for trials. It means anything that's trying. The 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 frustration of living in a body that gets old and sick. Um, the 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 actual temptations. The temptations to do wrong deeds, but also the trials of of living in a world where there is pain, where you know that you're going to die someday, where you know that. This body is not shaped right to be a pilot or an NBA star. Those are trials that will cause us to, to reshape our lives in a way that God doesn't want. 
Because, because God doesn't want us to be angels. God, if, if he did, he would have made us angels. But he didn't. God made us people. God made us human beings. God loves human beings. God loves the material world. And he loves you as a human being. He knows you have flaws. He knows you have sins. And he's, he's sent his son so that that problem will be solved. But his intention was never to make us angels, to move us up to the upstairs where things are, are, are different. Instead, his goal is for you to be yourself, to be even more yourself, more alive, more courageous, less fearful, to be more who you were always made to be. That is God's intention for you. God wants you to be you, not an angel. So that's the first thing we hold on to is, I don't need to be an angel. I shouldn't aspire to to uh, leave behind my crude matter so I can be a luminous being. That God made me to be both. I am a luminous being and a collection of crude matter. That's who I am. And God wants me to be that to the to the greatest degree, to lean in to that that reality. So that's the first thing is to lean into that. But the other thing is to remember that Jesus has been here. Jesus knows that that in this world we suffer. Jesus knows what it's like to be hungry, to be uh, without sleep, to be thirsty. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer pain. Jesus knows what it's like to be persecuted. Jesus knows what it's like to die. Jesus has been through all that. And as we read, he is able to help those because he understands suffering. He gets suffering and he can help us. How does he help us? Well, the answer to that is going to be as, as, as unique as the, the type of suffering we face. Maybe for you, it has always galled you that you couldn't be in the NBA. Maybe it's that your superpower isn't flying, it's nearsightedness. But whatever it is, whatever help you need, Jesus can help you with the suffering because he gets suffering. The, the testimony of Christians down through the years is that Jesus will give you enough help to get through it. He will not give you enough help that you will stand aloof from it, that, that it will not affect you, that, that it won't even be suffering. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, was I suffering? I didn't even realize. That's not what people report as their experience of Jesus' help. What they report is that when they didn't think they could make it, Jesus carried them. Maybe you've seen the, the poem about the, the, the footprints in the sand, how where there's two tracks, that's, that's me and Jesus walking together, but where there's one track, that's Jesus carrying me. That's the kind of help people talk about. And that's why it's important. We know that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers because a brother helps his siblings. If we're hurting, if, if we're suffering, we should turn to Jesus. We should turn to our big brother and say, I need some help here because he's happy to do that. He's happy to give us the help that, that we need. But he also asks the church, uh, this community, the, the family of the children of God, the, the body of Christ, it's called. He asks us to extend help as well. I, I, I can tell you that this church carried me after my daughter's death. It, the, the support that we received from, from this church after my daughter's death, carried me. There's one set of footprints on that beach, and it's not mine. 
that as acting as the body of Christ, you have been so helpful to me. And, and that is something the church is called to do. But we can't read minds. We, we don't know who's hurting. And so don't be ashamed to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need some help. And don't be afraid to turn to your Christian brothers and sisters and say, hey, I'm hurting. I'm suffering. Because Jesus gets suffering. And Jesus offers help because we are not angels. We are not merely luminous beings. We are we are luminous beings, but we are luminous beings and mortal creatures. And sometimes we suffer. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the the knowledge of our salvation in Christ that that you know who we are, you know what we are. And you want to make us more ourselves, uh, bolder, um, less fearful. Um, so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to lean into that knowledge. Help us to, to not be afraid of, of wasting our life, but to lean into the, the, the people, the, the men and the women that you made us to be. Help us to, to, uh, help those who suffer, particularly those who suffer who are our Christian brothers and sisters. Help us to be truly the body and, um, of Christ uh, in this world so that we can support uh, the ones that Jesus understands because he himself suffered. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.